Hey guys, I'm Nancy. And I'm Anna. Welcome to the Minority Experience, the podcast where we invite different guests every episode to talk about their individual experiences of being part of a minority group. We're your hosts. I'm Nancy. And I'm Anna. And today's guest is Alia. So I've known Alia since first grade, and we've been good friends for 11 years. She's from Libya, um, but she was born and raised in Vietnam. And Alia, is there anything else you want to share about yourself? And can you introduce yourself? Um, so as Anna said, I'm, I'm originally from Libya, but I've lived in Hanoi my entire life. Um, starting this fall, I'm going to be entering medical school and I'm going to be studying medicine at the university, which is a university here in Hanoi. So what has it been like growing up in Vietnam? So I think that growing up in Vietnam is such a unique experience, mainly because I feel like no other country really compares to Vietnam culturally, linguistically, in every sense, even when it comes to cuisine. And um, growing up here, it's, 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 been, it's been kind of a wild ride. Like, I'm a third culture child because of my Libyan background, but I grew up in Hanoi, Vietnam, and I've always, you know, been a part of an international community. Yet, I still really, I was still able to relate and grow up with um, the culture of the locals here. So, it's, it's, it's a really interesting experience because now I feel like I have this ability to be able to lean into everybody's perspectives like the locals, the foreigners, I relate to all sides of the story since I understand how the, the logic of the locals, but I also realize that in the forefront, I'm still a foreigner here, despite me being, growing up here and despite me experiencing a lot of what a normal Vietnamese kid would experience, my outer physical appearance would still limit some of my experiences. Um, I think growing up in Vietnam, it's, the thing about the Vietnamese culture and being a foreigner in Vietnam is that the foreigner lifestyle and the Vietnamese lifestyle never integrate. It's like foreigners have their own lifeline and then like the Vietnamese local life has, has its own lifeline. They never really integrate as one. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, can you, can you elaborate like, um. In, in what ways in like daily life? I guess it's in many ways. For example, hmm, like for example, you could say like in like the culture and in the lifestyle, like for foreigners here, we still live a quite Western lifestyle. Like you can still find an American restaurant here. You can still find a, you know, a bar, a pub, all these things where you can still go out Friday night and have a good time the same way you could do probably in Europe or in America. But at the same time, across the street, you'll find a pho booth or like a local temple. Like it's really crazy how there's two lifelines coexisting at once, but they never really intersect. You know what I mean? It's, it's like yeah. how some, it's crazy because it's like, uh, you'll have an international school full, filled with, you know, foreigners and, like, kids who grew up overseas and have international experiences. And these kids would probably have an extremely different lifestyle from a local Vietnamese kid who goes to high school. Like, 
that kid probably takes yeah. the local bus. That kid probably, you know, goes has celebrates that and um, you know enjoys the Vietnamese lifestyle. Whereas the foreigners always have to create, I guess, their own way of life. Was it ever like hard for you to have a strong relationship with um, your if Livia and like um, that side of your culture? Or did you find it relatively easy? Like I said, I feel like, like I said, to a certain extent, foreigners can never really fully integrate themselves into the Vietnamese society, into the Vietnamese lifestyle. So that's why I still, I still feel very close to my Libyan roots and my Libyan origins. I still consider Libya to be my home country. And like, I really embrace that as my identity. Because, uh, first of all, I've, I've gone back to Libya a lot. Like when I was a kid, every summer I would go back, you know, visit my family and, um, you know, live with my families for a couple of months. And then I would come back here and like do school and stuff. But yeah. it was, it was, it was like until like recently, maybe middle, middle school and high school. Cause you know, like my academics kind of started getting really heavy. We couldn't really always go back every single year. But yeah, like my parents still go back once every like three years. You know, I still talk to all my aunts and uncles all the time. It's, yeah, it's, it's not like I feel disconnected from my roots, but you know, there's always that feeling of homesick to a certain extent. And tell um, us, um, yeah, tell us more about Libya and like the experiences that you have had there. I know, I, I think, when was the last time you went back? Was it like four or five years ago? Yeah, yeah, it was like four or five years ago. Um, I guess, like, I, Libya and Vietnam are actually quite similar in some senses. Like, in Vietnam here, they really value tradition and family life. Like, you know, people are always close to their family. And back in Libya, it's exactly the same. Like, people are, like, family is a really big thing there. Um, I, like, we can literally track our entire family tree down. It's, it's a really big thing there. Like also tribalism. Do you guys know what that means? Not, not really. So it's basically this concept of like my family tree. I can, it, it, it allows you to track down your ancestors and your family tree really easily because like my hometown, I, we pretty much know everybody there. Like in Libya, it's pretty amazing because with just, you can give me a, the photo or the name of somebody and you can pretty much track them down because that's how the system works there. Wow. Like between people and the connections between people. Yeah. Cause everybody knows everybody like not, not in the sense of like, Oh, I can walk down the street and I already know who this person is, but like, as in like, um, yeah. As in like when it comes to like locating people, because we're so, we value family so much and we're so interconnected we pretty much can like locate people really easily um what's the population there so Libya has around seven million people but it's a really big country it's in the top 20 biggest countries in the world so because of the Sahara Desert right because Libya the majority of it is desert people are more densely populated near the north near Tripoli and um Benghazi near the Mediterranean coast just because it's you know cooler there and there are more um, buildings and cities there but there are still like people living throughout the desert 
so about the experiences that you've had in Libya, what were some of your favorite things to do? Oh, so I think my favorite thing to do is obviously spend time with my family and visit my grandfather's farm and, um, you know, play in the Mediterranean Ocean, in the Mediterranean Sea, not ocean, sorry. <laughs> but, like, I feel like people really don't know about um, Libya's, like, natural, like, beauty in its nature. Like, we have a lot of lagoons and, and a lot of beautiful beaches. We also have a lot of, like, Roman architecture because Libya has been a part of the Greek, Roman, and Ottoman Empire. So we have a lot of influence, like, you know, that Mediterranean feel, that Mediterranean lifestyle. We, it really shows in just through the buildings of the, of the people, like the buildings of the houses. And um, like from our art ag agriculture, like olives and uh, dates and all that stuff, that's very like Mediterranean-esque agriculture yeah. because of the weather as well as of the sea. And, you know, that explains why. And I, actually, I think one thing people don't know about Libya is that we're very diverse in skin tones because we're bordering the Mediterranean Sea and because we also have a desert. Some people have olive skin. Some people have very fair skin. Some people have very a, a much darker skin tone because they probably originate from the South. Like, this is the thing about Libya that people often overlook is that we're still an African country. We still live... Uh, we are still ge geographically located on the continent of Africa and that we are very diverse as Africa is literally the most diverse continent. Like my sister does not look like my sister. Like she, she's definitely like <laughs> looks much more fair. She has very different um, characteristics than I do. So, but this is like really normal. And I think it's really normal in all North African countries, like for different, members of different families to look really distinct from one another and to have um, different like phenotypic features. So obviously religion is something that I've heard seems to be very important to you. Could you tell us a little bit about your experiences of being Muslim in Vietnam, which from what I gather is a predominantly Buddhist country? So yeah, I am Muslim and yeah, Vietnam is a predominantly Buddhist country and like there's Buddhism, even if people are not really relatively practicing Buddhism, Buddhism is in everything in the, in the culture. It's more like really, it's, it's really infused with the culture. Like we have Tet, we have Buddhist statues, like even in the archi architecture and the temples, like we have a lot of influence from that. Growing up in Vietnam being Muslim, honestly, I haven't never really faced any discrimination or any bad, I don't know, bad intentions from anybody here. And I think that's because Vietnamese people genuinely don't really know about Islam. Like they don't really know about Muslims. So it's just like the fact that they aren't really aware of how Muslims are like. And, you know, when you go out on the street and stuff like that, people always say like, oh, are you Indian? Like, oh, are you, like, Filipino or something? Because obviously they're limited in their knowledge because there's not really that much of Muslim representation here in Vietnam at all. But actually in the south of Vietnam, like near Ho Chi Minh City, there is a very small Muslim minority. I think in the south, 
there's this, uh, there's about 12 mosques in the south, but in here in Hanoi, oh. we only have one mosque. Yeah. So we, there are actually Muslims in Vietnam, but it's rather very low key. Like it's not a big, yeah. big population. Yeah. So as a hijabi, do you feel comfortable wearing your hijab out in public in Vietnam on the streets? And how has that experience been like? Yeah, like, I think that, like I said, because, because Vietnamese people aren't really aware of it, they might stare a bit because it's like a new concept in the city. They don't really do that. But outside of the city, you know, near the countryside and everything, people would more likely stare at you because they've never really seen a foreigner, let alone somebody who dresses differently. But, um, yeah, I've never, I feel comfortable just because Vietnam is pretty really safe like you don't really hear anything about getting attacks on foreigners you don't really hear about discrimination like people don't really do that here <laughs> like I, I'm super grateful for it I think that uh it's a really good thing that people are a lot more I don't know people are very friendly here and I and people usually if they do act weird to you it's not with a bad intention it's like just because it's so unfamiliar to them so that's why they, they might come off as confused and uncomfortable, but, you know, they're, they don't take it too, like, too extreme. And I think it's because Malaysia has a lot of, has a very big Muslim population. So that's why I think they oh, think yeah. like, oh, she's probably Malaysian or like, oh, she's probably Indian or something. Hmm. Um, um, I just seem very comfortable, very... Wow, I'm just surprised. I had no idea that Vietnam was like, on some levels, quite like, I guess, very accepting. Or they're very like chill about this whole thing. Um, do you ever like incorporate your hijab into fashion and everyday outfits? And how do you do that? Yeah, like, we're still, yeah, like, the fashion industry when it comes to the aspect of the hijab obviously we dress relatively modest so a lot of the times we can't really dress like we can't wear crop tops out you know what i mean we can't really wear shorts that are too short so we like out there's so many fashion styles so many you know options where uh you can still look really fashionable and cute and trendy even if you're wearing a hijab like there's there's like one point something billion muslims in the world like they're not just gonna walk around dressing in a dress and just hijab like don't worry about it <laughs> I, actually being a hijabi kind of enables you to be even more fashionable because we are already limited in some like i guess you can say trends that it enables us to really think outside the box and try to spice up our outfits you know yeah just um out of curiosity how many hijabs do you have and where do you buy them in vietnam or do you buy them from libya and bring them over to Vietnam? so basically you can literally it there are different styles of hijabs like there are some that are very um like for example for the younger kids because they can't really wrap it around their head properly there are there are ones where you just put your head through it and you kind of wear it as a glove around your head like those ones um those ones are like you know they're not like for example for me okay i need to word my thing answer properly how do i explain this so for me because i'm older and i can like have manipulate the hijab even better 
it's basically a piece of cloth and you can go to any tailor you can go to any store you can use any scarf as a hijab you just have to cover your head so um that's why it's very flexible and you can use anything as a hijab even like a piece of cloth but then for certain like hijab accessories like you know an undercap and stuff like that there are special online stores that do sell them like i said in the south there is a uh, muslim muslim um minority and in the south i find it that you can find specific stores for this but that's only in the south i haven't yeah and um also like I said, you can buy them on, offline, uh, online, and, you know, Malaysia is, like, relatively close to here, so, you know, whenever we go, we kind of try to stack up on stuff like that, but it's it's not, like, a hassle. Like, it, you, it's really easy to find. I mean, you mentioned that, like, in the South, there are a lot of, um, there is a small Muslim population. Does that include, like, Vietnamese Muslims, or have you ever met? A yeah, Muslim? there are. All, they're all, all Vietnamese. They're like Vietnamese Muslims. So you've Ooh. met um, Vietnamese Muslims before. If so, um, what was that like? And like, do you know how they got into the religion? How they started learning about Islam? Um, on so, yeah, there are Vietnamese. There's a Vietnamese uh, Muslim minority down in the south, and I think that's just like their heritage like I don't know I think it's just like my family they're Muslims like that's just the Muslim minority in Vietnam but here in the north I definitely have met like converts like people who convert to Vietnam to Islam who are Vietnamese and I don't know I've, I've heard some some like some people just convert by themselves like I know a girl who's Vietnamese and she converted from Christianity to Islam and like I feel like half the time when it comes to religion Like, even though I'm born Muslim, I still have my own journey with my faith, right? I still have to figure out Mm -hmm. my own faith and what what my religion means to me and despite me being born Muslim. So obviously, people who convert, they they often go through a lot, a long period of, you know, self-reflection and like figuring out who they want to be and research and stuff like that. And yeah, like, I think, Islam is like the fastest growing religion right now. And yeah, I think in like, it's predicted by 2023, like we would be, Muslims would be outgrow the Muslim, uh, the Christians. We would have more Muslims than Christians or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a quite fast growing religion. Um, and how has your religion and faith guided you in life um, and or helped you through like difficult times? I know you're still on your journey of faith, but how has it um, guided you like so far? Um, I think that, you know, religion and faith, it really helps with your morality and your ethics, like your inner ethics, like your personal ethics. I think that my re- just genuinely like religion really helps help to connect people even if you know two people you've never met before you can easily connect with them um through religion and I think that religion really helps you guide you through life you know like the type of lifestyle you want to be living I think for me personally 
my faith has really helped me um, navigate my day-to-day interactions with people. You know, you're always going to meet that one person who will literally be screwed to you and always be super, you know, just, just ruin your day. But I think a lot of religions and a lot of faiths teach you to just not let it get to you and always teach you to spread kindness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really in the tiny things like just navigating your life, the lifestyle you want to live, you know, giving back to people. And has it ever, like, your faith, has it ever maybe posed a challenge or was there ever any time where you may have, like, doubted your faith? Or has it been pretty constant throughout your life? Um, I don't think I've ever really, like, this is, I feel like this is a very, this, this is a phase that everybody kind of goes through. Like, you go through a phase where you question everything and you're always, you're always wondering, like, you know, when you go through struggles, I feel like your your faith is the one thing that can help keep you calm and, you know, ground you to earth and help you stay strong. And I feel like every single time I doubt it, I come out stronger. Does that make sense? So, like, whenever... Yeah, yeah so, like, I, f- I feel like everybody goes through a phase of, like, doubt and, like, phase of, like, questioning, but... At the end, I feel like there in Islam, there's always a reason why, why we do things, why this is this. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I guess at the end, I, like, when whenever I have doubts, it's always usually cleared out, cleared up. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, so you said there was only one mosque in, in Hanoi, right? What were some, like, other challenges that you faced when practicing um, your religion in Vietnam specifically? Mm, I would say most likely in, uh, like, for example, during Ramadan. Ramadan is the holy month where we fast for the entire month. When you're not in a Muslim-majority country, usually during that time, people are still working. People are still going to school. People are, like, life is still continuing on. And, um, you know, people waking up at 6, going to bed at 8. For us, we break our fast at, like, around 6 p.m. And we'd rather stay up during the night, right? Because that's when we can not be fasting. Uh, So, yeah, just to clear up, during Ramadan, we fast from sunrise to sunset. So when the sun is out, we're fasting. But at nighttime, we're, we're allowed to, like, eat and drink water and, you know, be normal. So, you know, when, you're, when the city and the environment you're living in doesn't really always match up to your uh, timeline of, like, fasting and, you know, like, your faith timeline, it is a struggle because, like, usually around that time, my school has exams. It's summer. It's super hot on a week all day and my friends you know they want to go out they're like hey let's go out here let's go do this and I'm like I'm fasting I'm tired (laughs) like I'd rather be sleeping in you know what I mean so yeah yeah I guess it is it is a bit of a struggle because you like I said it's like living two timelines at once they never really integrate it's always two two separate timelines like running parallel to each other so that's what I mean when I say that it's like you have your own life and you have your own, um, you know, um, way of living. But then the second you step out of the house, you start to realize that that's not really 
like the people surrounding you don't are not actually um, matched up and aligned to your way of living. So um, yeah, it's 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 a struggle in that way, in that sense. But honestly, it's it's really no big deal. Like um, I guess it just kind of sucks at some points. Like for example, when we have Eid that's like a big, big holiday for us. It's really important holiday, but it's not really a big holiday here at all. (laughs) And you know, when it's set here, like I grew up here, so I know the importance of that and everything and Lunar New Year. But to me, I'm just sitting at home because I don't really have family or friends. Well, my friends are visiting their families, but I don't really have family to visit or anything like that. So yeah, I guess in that sense, it's a little bit, it clashes a little, but it's something that you can easily get over. Um, also, I guess because I'm Muslim and I have to eat halal, like I cannot eat pork and, you know, I can't consume mm-hmm. alcohol and stuff like that. That also really limits me in the local cuisine. Like if I want to eat pho, then I have to make it at home. Like because <laughs> everywhere else they serve pho with like pork and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I... like I can't eat pork and I have to eat stuff that is halal but actually recently over the past few years we've had a lot of you know diversity in the local in the cuisine like people have opened up Egyptian restaurants Mexican vegan restaurants vegetarian restaurants so now nowadays it's like much more like there are more options but you know there it's, it's simple things like that like I think that's that's one of the culture clashes that I realized like here I'm always like okay can't eat that because it because it has pork or oh it's it's not halal but then when I go back home it's kind of weird to me because it's like I can eat everything it's like I don't have to limit myself yeah Yeah, so so yeah like I think those are two two things that really impact your lifestyle but like I said like those are really simple obstacles you can overcome oh I mean you mentioned Ramadan. Um, could you share some more about maybe some of your other favorite traditions of Islam? Um, so basically, Ramadan, it's the biggest one. I think it's the most notably one, the one that's like known mostly, you know, to um, outsiders. Uh, we also have this thing called Hajj and Umrah. So this is basically when you go to Mecca. It's basically a pilgrim, like your oh, yeah. mandatory pilgrim. Yes. You have to do it once in your lifetime if you're Muslim. And you have to go to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, and you have to do your um, like uh, prayer there, and you have to you know, practice the religion there. And I think it's a really beautiful place. I haven't been, but my parents have... Um, my parents went to Amra once and they also did Hajj actually like right before Corona hit, like in 2019, summer of 2019, my parents went like right before Corona hit. And then, yeah, like Muslims, we, we pray five times a day. Uh, yeah. That's really like, Islam is actually quite simple. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like when, when you hear about other religions, it's like this entire, un undiscovered territory but once you learn about them you start to realize that all religions really do have connections 
Yeah, I was going to say I took worldviews this year, which is like a class where you cover like five of the biggest religions. Mm -hmm. And we did our chapter on Islam. That was when I took the test. And I was telling you, I I was taking a test on on, um, Islam. And the teacher talked about that, yeah, the trip, the five pillars going to um, Saudi Arabia. Um, do you, does your mom or does your dad have any specific stories that you remember them telling you about their trip or how, how is that like? Cause I remember that part really, really fascinated me. It's like a three day, three day trip, right? Or is it a week? Um, I'm not sure like exactly how much like the ritual is, but I'm not quite sure, but I'll ask. Um, yeah, like I think the one notable thing about, Hajj is that when you even though you're in Saudi Arabia it doesn't feel like you're in Saudi Arabia because when you look around you see Muslims from everywhere you see Muslims from Russia you see Muslims from Asia you see Muslims from Africa it's really really diverse and I think that you know in that moment you start to feel really united as human beings and it's it's kind of a a really like grat, like gratifying moment where you start to you know, look around and you see all these people from different parts of the world, but we are all really united through religion. Like, I think that's a really heart, heartwarming moment. Actually, I forgot to tell you this, but we did once face, like, discrimination and okay, Islamophobia. Okay, tell, tell us, yeah. In, but in it Vietnam? wasn't from Vietnamese people. Yeah, in Vietnam. But it wasn't from Vietnamese people. It was from a white tourist. <laughs> it's like they take their Islamophobia with them. Um, wow. Tell, tell us about it. Oh my gosh. When was this? This was like a, like in eighth grade, seventh grade. But yeah, so basically my, we were at Domino's. This is in Tejo, by the way. No, it wasn't Tejo. It was in Huangkiam. It was in Huangkiam. And Huangkiam okay. Lake. And there's this Domino's, like really small. It's It's a really small Domino's, but it, it's just like a pickup place so we were at the night market and then we were like okay let's go oh we see a dominoes yeah let's go grab some dominoes you know we're in the mood for dominoes we got there and we look at the menu there's like these group of white tourists we know that they're tourists because there's no way that they're locals but they're like they're dressed as tourists also but they're sitting down and they're sitting in the table in the back then my mom is like okay we want to order okay she tells my sister to stand in line to order because like I said this place is kind of like a pickup place it's like really small you can't really eat in it and my sister is like standing there then these like group of white people like come but the thing is like my sister at that time my sister was like in sixth grade so she's like really tiny and they kind of overcrowd her and slowly because of the movement of the people like she slowly before she was like at the front of the line she slowly gets back then my mom is like then then we're like hey like we were here first my sister was here first and we've been waiting for a bit, can can we just order first? And they were like, oh no. And, and they were like kept ignoring us. And then this old white lady, like I don't remember too much of it, but I remember her like really looking at my mom and swearing down at her, like, like using foul language. <laughs> yeah, like that's oh how God. you know they're tourists because like, <laughs> like the local people here are least educated and really respectful, but they were using very foul language and it was just, it just left such a bitter taste in my mouth. It happened so fast. And I was like in seventh grade, eighth grade, like I was 12 or 13. Like I was not expecting that at all. Like what would a 12 or 13 year old do that, do in that situation? 
Mm. Was your whole family there? Or was it... No, it was um, just... Everyone... Yeah, no, it was, was just it? me, my mom, and my sister. Mm. But, yeah, mm. like... Like I said, yeah, like, it's just... It was just that moment. Yeah. So we didn't face discrimination from the locals or Vietnamese people. We faced it from outsiders coming into the country. Yeah, that is really, really ironic. Yeah, I know, right? I was like, bro, like, who does that? <laughs> like, who does that? Yeah, yeah and like, the, the, the Domino's, the lady at the Domino's counter who was, like, um, taking your order, she was the only one there. And she was, like, you know, Vietnamese tiny. She was, like, um, um, like, she didn't know what to do. Like, obviously, right? Like, what would she do in that situation? She was, like, she's like okay please calm down please calm down and she she tried to like sort us into a line but then me and my mom and my sister just stormed off we were like what is this like what yeah did your mom say anything back or was she just like i'm done like i'm walking out no so basically my mom was like trying so so basically what, what was happening was that this lady she was really tall and she kept blocking us with her back like she kept pushing us back and we were like, hey, hey, like, we're here. We were here first. Can you move? And then she st- turns around and she looks at us and she just starts like, I, d- I don't remember exactly what she said, but she was very foul. And my mom was like, can you please watch your tongue? It, rep- it, 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 it like reflects you and your education. And then this girl goes, yeah, well, this is how I am or something like that. Like, oh, and she was, wow. she, I'm pretty sure she was from the UK, like, because she had that British accent. She wasn't American. So it was either UK or Australia, but yeah, Yikes. Um, that is, that is another level. Like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I never, I never knew that. I don't think you ever told me that. That is very um, ironic. Yeah. Cause I don't want to remember upsetting. that. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, get that out of my memory. Yeah. I think like the international community here like within international schools and like people who are foreigners who live here, not the tourists, but the people who actually live here, they're very well educated because first of all, they traveled the world, you know, they live in a foreign country. So they're relatively much more open-minded, much more accepting. They're super friendly. I've never really experienced like discrimination from any of my peers or any like other students from international schools because like I said if you're going to go to international school you're going to be really well educated like you know what I mean they don't really fall for that propaganda and that like fault like Islamophobia and stuff like that but you know it's it's weird for me because like online you see so many hate crimes for um you know just like it can be anything like discrimination discriminating against people for their religion discriminating against people for their race and it's weird because when you live in a country where you don't really experience that or like there's not really that type of hate or like discrimination among the people it's it's when you do encounter that in the world it's a weird experience for you because you realize that like oh my god there are people who think like this (laughs) like there are people who are are like that yeah um yeah because it's like I mean, who would have thought that the tourists, the people traveling would be like? I know. I know. It was like, oh my God. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, it's, it's really sad because it's like, 
it's, it's really sad because it was like so unexpected you know right. what I mean yeah it's like so unexpected you're you're in the night market Hwankiam Lake it's Saturday night there's tourists everywhere there's like people everywhere there's like music people are enjoying themselves and then you just run into the wrong group of people Okay, kind of to like segue, um, so your parents obviously grew up in a different religious environment than you, a different time period, a different um, society. Do you find any differences or similarities in your beliefs, um, thinking, or practices? And how has um, the religion kind of like um, evolve or progress alongside just society? So, um, well, my parents actually also grew up overseas. Like my mother's, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather is an ambassador. So my mom lived in Europe and she lived in Madagascar and different parts of Africa. And she lived here in Asia. So she is also like, we're kind of raised with that same mindset, like being open-minded, experiencing different cultures from different people and so did my dad. Like my parents met when they were really young at Madagascar, in Madagascar. So like, I guess that open-mindedness and like being educated, I get like that runs in both sides of my family. Um, but yeah, I think like between generations, there's always going to be like different mindsets. There's always going to be different things because we grew up with technology. You know what I mean? We grew up with, within the world of social media. My parents never grew up with that. Like, even though my parents are relatively younger, they never grew up with the same technology that, you know, we are growing up with. And the movies that they watched are very different from the movies that we're watching. So I guess, you know, there's, there's a lot of different views, I guess, in certain social aspects. But I feel like when it comes to religion, it's pretty much the same because religion never really changes or at least islam doesn't really change so i guess like religion really does kind of keep the family together and stuff like that but yeah like i think between parents and children and grandparents there's always going to be that generation you know the, the difference between generations like for example here my parents don't really use TikTok, but I'm, like, on it 24-7. <laughs> so, like, yeah. But it's actually weird and funny because recently, like, you know, Y2K and, like, the 90s and 80s have always been, like, fashion trends have always come back to style recently in the past couple of years. And that's, like, literally what our parents grew up with. Does that make yeah, sense? Like, our parents' fashion comes back. Yeah, so, like, it's weird. Like, I look at my mom's pictures when she was 19, 18, and I'm like, Mom, you were dressing so well. And she's like, this is the style back then. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that coach back that she had that now is sitting in your sister's. I know. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It's great. You talk about sort of our generation growing up with um, technology and obviously how this is going to create some on some level uh kind of um well I don't want to say rift but I guess like difference between your generation and your parents generation um on a bigger level do you think that like the media plays into whether negative or positive different perceptions of Muslims and um Islam as a religion so I think yeah it, it does I think there's both 
positive and negative ways. Like, for example, back in the early 2000s, where the media was quite limited, like you really only had what newspapers and you opened up the TV and you had the radio, where the media was quite controlled. So obviously, you know, your perception of the world, it was through one mirror, like it was through what the government was allowing you to see. But now thanks to social media and thanks to things like TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, we've been able to connect globally we've been able to learn a lot about different cultures, different societies, um, just simply through a simple Google search. Whereas back then I felt like there was a lot of discrimination against um, Muslims and stuff like that because of the way that certain media, media and platforms decided to portray them. But recently in the couple of years, people have been much more, they're, they've been much more easier to like call out people on their Islamophobia, especially big brands, especially politicians and stuff like that, because they start because now we're starting to realize that like we're all people <laughs> and there's no reason really, there's no logic to racism. There's no logic to discrimination. And that, um, you know, like I said, thanks to social media, we've been able to connect with people. We've been able to really like learn each other's stories like I'm pretty sure nowadays if you, if you see racism or discrimination of any sorts in front of you you would probably step in and stop it and be like hey what do you think you're doing that's not acceptable and I think that's a really good thing for um society yeah. because now because now we're like a lot more educated thanks to um you know social media like we've been able to connect really easily but at the same time, it's also really easy to be to spread misinformation and misconceptions. So that's why it's really important to, you know, verify your news sources and like right. do your own research, do proper research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. wear your masks, take I your vaccines. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Um, are there any Muslim leaders you look up to in the media, on TikTok, or any, like, influencers that kind of, um, yeah, that you look up to, that you aspire? Um, okay, you know, I follow a lot, but I don't know why right now there's nobody really coming into mind. But, um, but I can say, like, now there's so much more. Like, growing up, all I did was, like, watch Disney Channel and Cartoon Network. And, you know, like, I love Disney Channel. I love, you know, all that classic shows, Wizards of Waverly Place, Good Luck Charlie. But they never really showed people of color. They never really portrayed diversity and culture. But now I think thanks to social media, I can easily watch this TikToker who looks like me, eats the same food as me, is Muslim. And I can relate to them a lot more. So that's how, like, traditional media has changed a lot for the better. And that's how, like, now you can connect with people who, who share the same origins as you. And I think I'm really grateful for that. Like, there's a lot of YouTubers who are, um, you know, like, I think, I think YouTube was, like, one of the biggest media game changers, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like literally vlogs. I would. It's so weird and creepy how kids just sat in a room and watched somebody live their life, and it was like entertainment. That's weird. That's so weird. But it was. Yeah. It's so entertaining. Oh, now that you say it, it's like yeah, that is weird. But it's it's like it's really like nice. Entertaining, <laughs> right? It's not yeah. like, 
<laughs> it was it's yeah yeah i agree yeah. with you i feel like growing up all like the popular youtubers influencers they were all white from los angeles but um now looking on like my page you can easily find so many influencers of color talking about yeah. fashion hauls like day in my life anything and yeah i think that is very important in in life for young young girls yeah and i think i think it should be something that we should celebrate and encourage more of like why like give us diversity you know people of color show us something interesting it's like it's it's not not only so we can relate to it but just so we can learn from it you know mm. yeah for sure i'm gonna move forward a little bit it's kind of a lot so you've been immersed in international schools basically all your life with um, a multitude of students from different nationalities. Are you feeling excited or nervous about Sin University where I'm gonna assume that the majority of the student body is Vietnamese? Um, well, I am really excited for Vin University. Like I'm so looking forward to my semester like just university is just a completely different thing from high school and like primary school right. and secondary school yeah so like it's it's interesting i am i guess this was kind of one of my concerns like uh there are some international students actually i have like talked to some of them online because we connected through facebook and stuff like that because we're like all so excited for the coming, upcoming school year yeah but yeah so yeah, I guess that is an underlying fear of mine because, like, nobody really wants to feel like they're the black sheep. Like, nobody wants to feel left right. out. Nobody really wants to feel discriminated against. And sometimes, like, it's just the feeling that's there. Like, nobody does. Like, it's not like people are, like, rude or just, or just being, you know, racist or anything. But you sometimes can't help but feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. And, <laughs> and like, I guess, like like I said, like, university is just a different game changer. Like, everybody's an adult. Everybody's, like, really, you know, we're getting a really good education, and we're in a really high, you know, educative environment, atmosphere. And actually, some of, I feel like, like I said, thanks to social media and, like, all that stuff, even the my class and the people entering university with me, they're probably going to be a lot more open-minded than what a lot of us would expect. Yeah. And what led you to the decision to apply and commit to Vin University? So um, I actually originally applied to Canada and I got accepted to every school I applied to and I even got a scholarship to some. But I think like sitting down and talking through it with my parents, we were like, this Canada is just so far. It's literally the other side of the world. And you know, with COVID and everything, like, what if I get stranded there? Like, there's really no support mm -hmm. system out there. Like, yeah, it's really important to go to university and, you know, really important to go to college. But when, when you're 18 and you fly halfway across the world and you're at university, so it's, it's not like when you go to a boarding school when you're in, like, high school, like, the school still looks out for you. But at university, nobody's going to do that. University is going to have 50,000 students. They can't sit, sit at home and, you know, deal with each student one by one like that's not possible so you know there wasn't they there wasn't there, there was not going to be a lot of support for me there 
in North America. And I think like going there would have been a good opportunity, but also just practically and realistically, it, the cons outweighed the pros. So I was starting, I was starting to realize that it wasn't really a <laughs> valid option. And I knew that I wanted to study medicine. So all my, um, all the programs, all the majors I applied to were like biology, biomedical, pre-med and stuff like that. So I, I deliberately chose majors and subjects that I could get into medicine, into, into the medical field. Then my friend told me about Vin University and she was like, listen, Vin has this medical doctor program that only takes six years. <laughs> if we did, if I went to, if I wanted to study medicine in North America, it would be like eight to 10 years. It would yeah. be super expensive and it's like super long. Mm-hmm. And I would feel really like alone there and, you know, without any support. But Vin is right here and it's right next to my family. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let me just, let me go visit the campus before I apply before I hit before I hit submit on my application so I visited the campus and I think I like completely fell in love with it it's so beautiful like all the resources and opportunities and the technology available to the students I was like it's really like state-of-the-art technology it's a beautiful new campus um the medical the college of health sciences has its own like sector and there's like this hospital stimulus like it's basically a building but once you step inside the building it literally feels like a hospital it does not feel like anything because it's basically a stimulus to help the medical students get used to you know the, the formatting of a hospital and stuff like that and there's so much technology and equipment available to everybody and I was like super mind blown I did not expect it to be like this at all because I really there's you barely know anything about university since it really opened up only last year so yeah I was like really excited I came home and I knew that I really wanted to go to Vin because of just like a lot of the support that they have there and knowing that I would be close to my family it's just knowing that I would be close to my family was just like really what sold me to it like I, I could still go to school and still come back home here and stuff like that and also, like, just six years of medical school, that's an amazing deal, so. Yeah, videos of Uvin University, they always come on my For You page, and there's this girl, you probably, I think you know her, it's, uh, her name is, like, oh, I don't remember her name, but she's, like, oh, a day, a li- day in my life of, like, studying at this internship, or, like, going to this place. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? And those videos are so satisfying yes. to watch. And, yeah, the technology and everything, it looks great, it looks amazing, and the, all the opportunities you get there, I'm now excited for you. Yeah, and the hospital sounds so cool. And everything's taught in English. Everything yeah. is taught in English. All our professors are like highly credited professors from Ivy League and Brown University and Cornell University makes um, collabs with Vinuni all the time. And like, like I'm really excited. <laughs> I think it's going to be such an amazing time and opportunity. That sounds amazing. That sounds great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, now that you're going to go to university in like literally a month, I think, do you have any goals for the near future? Like where do you see yourself in five, 10 or like 20 years? Maybe not 20, that's so, a little too far. 
<laughs> well, I think my goal is to like focus on school and like my academics and stuff like that. I, I still really want to start projects. Um, I'm actually in a part of a couple like student led or like, you know, teen, teen led projects where it's just about like informing people about certain issues like for example personal finance and stuff like that I think that's something that's not even talked about at all and I feel like especially for us teenagers we need to learn a lot about you know how to save money how to actively um, spend money how to like you know how like um, smart banking works like now you can literally swipe your phone like you don't even need a card or cash so yeah like I think that I would like to start more projects with uh, whether it is for university with university students or with high school students or just simple projects where you can inform people about social issues or like social aspects. And yeah, like I think I would like to start one in my first year. I would also like to like, you know, get really good grades <laughs> during my first year. I think for me in the long term, when I get out of medical school and, you know, out of my residency and everything, I do want to start up my own private clinic back in Libya. Like, so I want to go back and like start my own clinic. And yeah, like I want to also maybe work for the Ministry of Health or like work for um, organizations such as the World Health Organization, like just a way I can incorporate medicine globally. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, yeah, your own private clinic. That sounds really cool. Um, and then as for the Muslim community, do you have any hopes for, for the community in the near future, both uh, globally and in Vietnam? I mean, uh, I guess for me, I think like the biggest obstacle is Islamophobia and a lot of misconceptions about Muslims and stuff like that. I think the more people grow up, the more people get educated, the more they start to realize that we're all, like I said, we're all humans. <laughs> Literally, there's no such thing as, like, being terrorists and bombing everything and all that. Um, yeah, I think that slowly, slowly by slowly, like, the media is changing a lot. Like, before, they were very discriminatory. They're very, you know, like, just out there blatantly disrespectful. But I feel like because of the mood and like the mindset of new generations, the way that we've been really accepting and really open-minded, it really does affect even our older generations. Like even now, I'm pretty sure our parents probably have like different mindsets than they did 10 years ago and all that stuff. So yeah, so I guess my biggest hope is like, um, my biggest the biggest goal is to really just stop the growth of Islamophobia and making sure that, uh, you know, like, we, we stop, we, we, like, how do you, like, unnormalize something? Uh, stigmatize? Yeah, um, like, stigma? the stigma. Like, the stigma um, around, I, I don't know, like, just the stigma around... POC, the stigma around, you know, just minorities need to stop. We need to, like, normalize, uh, just not make it normal to be Islamophobic. <laughs> Does that make right. sense? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, like, 
we need to like shame people for being racist. Like we, people need to realize it's not okay to be racist. Okay. Sure, like yeah. that's not okay. Oh, um, well, do you have any last words you'd like to share either about um, sort of general feelings or maybe some words of encouragement? Honestly, I would say to people of, from, from, to people from a not minority, people from cultures that don't really are expect are, that are not really portrayed in mainstream media, you are really valid. Like, trust me, normal educated people are not discriminatory in any sense. People are very accepting nowadays and people, if anything, want to learn more about the other people's culture and want to get educated more. And I think that it's a really good thing that we have social media where we can like this podcast right now we can share the experience of so many people who have lived different lives from one another but we can all still be connected in some way and somehow um yeah I think my last message would be just literally just if you put your mind to it you can really achieve anything so Um, That was a great message. Thank you for sharing that. And this was all the questions. We really appreciate you for your time as well. Thank you for having me. Once again, we're Anna and Nancy, and this was The Minority Experience.